Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins with the message, The Promise Foretold. I want to ask you to turn to Isaiah chapter 9 today. Isaiah chapter 9. And the title of the message today, the beginning of a two-part series, today is The Promise Foretold. So we are in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 9. I'm just wondering, if you're pulling the Bible up on your smartphone or mobile device, let me just see you hold that thing up right now. If you're doing that, that's an awesome site. I wanna encourage more of you guys to do that. Here's why. Because our services here at Calvary PSL, they're not about man sharing his opinions, they're about us teaching God's word. And it's really important that you follow along in God's word um, because you know the word of God is the only thing that can change our hearts and our lives. The Spirit of God taking the word of God and doing that work in the hearts of the people of God. So I hope you have your Bibles whether it's in book form or electronic. And I hope you're opening right now to Isaiah chapter nine today. How's everybody doing? Good. Good, good. Got your Christmas shopping done? Not even close, right? All right, I'll see you at the mall. (laughs) By the way, if, if you have a baby and your baby gets fussy during the service, just know this, we love you. And we're really happy that you're here. But we have a room right over there called the Cry Room with a TV set with full audio and you can go and listen to the message. You don't have to miss anything. Um, But we just ask that you're respectful for the people around you uh, during our services, amen? All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're grateful for your word. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We live in a dark world. Things are uh, just so messy, God. But we know that when the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and feeds the flock of God, we get a, a new perspective, your perspective, on how to live life in a way that's pleasing to you. And so, Lord, even though the culture around us is making so many bad decisions, help us, Lord, not to be of this world. Help us to realize we're in the world, but not of the world. And I pray that that'll show in our lives, that'll be something different. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you uh, during this service to come and illuminate your word. We know without you, this is just futility. It's not a exercise of the intellect. Lord, this is um, us surrendering our hearts and asking you to speak to us on a spiritual level. And so do that work that only you can do today in the hearts and lives of your people. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, all right, well, one day Jesus and his disciples were way up in the northern part of Israel, a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It's at the foot of Mount Hermon. It's lush, it's green, it's beautiful. It's the headwaters of the Jordan River. It's one of my favorite places in all of Israel. And while Jesus and his disciples were there, um, he asked them this. He said, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, the Son of Man was Jesus' favorite title for himself. So, guys, 12 disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, and they said, well, some believe that he's 
Elijah, and others believe he's John the Baptist. Still others say he's Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked this monumental question. He said, but who do you say that I am? And by the way, that question was monumental in the first century AD. It's still monumental 2,000 years ago, or 2,000 years ahead in our 21st century today. Now, various world religions and quote-unquote Christian cults have taken it upon themselves to answer that question. And so when we look at the world religions today, Islam says that Jesus, well, he's just a prophet. Their official doctrine is that Jesus did not die on a cross and he did not rise again. And so that's Islam. And of course, that world religion is growing by the day. Hinduism says that Jesus was just a guru and some within that movement say he was an avatar. Buddhism says that Jesus was an enlightened teacher and Judaism, and I'm not talking about Messianic Jews, who believe that Jesus is their Messiah. I'm talking about Judaism, um, generally speaking. They say that Jesus was just a misguided Jewish rabbi. And so along with Christianity, uh, we see those major world religions. But now look at the quote-unquote Christian cults. And I use the word Christian in quotes because they're not Christian. All right, and so Christian science. How many of you guys have heard of Christian science in the reading rooms? Okay, a few of you, uh, uh, founded by Mary Baker Eddy. By the way, Mary Baker Eddy said that if um, the prophet from Galilee never existed, it wouldn't matter to me. That's why Christian science is neither Christian nor science. And they say that Jesus was not God, he was not the Christ. Jehovah Witnesses say, the, the ones that knock on your door every Saturday, they say that Jesus was Michael the archangel. And then probably the most bizarre statement of all, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, say that Jesus was one of Elohim's many sons. He was procreated by Elohim and one of his many wives. And Jesus and Lucifer are brothers. Amazing. See, that's what happens when you get away from the word of God. You see, there's a problem, whether you're talking about the world religions or the quote-unquote Christian cults, there's a problem with all of the answers they gave concerning who Jesus is. The problem is that every single one of their answers are based on man's imagination and not God's word. All right, so how did Peter answer the question that Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? I can see Peter, I love Peter, he's impetuous, he's outgoing, gregarious, he's always sticking his foot in his mouth, messing up, but I love the guy. I can see him going, ooh, 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 pick me, pick me, right? And so Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Truth rings true when you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. If you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you today, you know that all those other definitions of who Jesus was and is, is are wrong, and that is absolutely a fact. Now, I think Jesus got a little excited, and so look how he responded to Peter. He said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or Simon, son of Jonah, 
For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Who revealed the truth that Christ, uh, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Who revealed that to Peter? The Father in heaven. You know what that tells me? That tells me that Jesus' answer was not based upon man's imagination. It was based squarely on the word of God. And so the Father made a promise And the promise is simply this. This is the main theme of where we're going for the next two weeks. The promise is that God would send a Messiah into the world to redeem the world. And that promise of the Christ, it was foretold in the Old Testament and it was fulfilled in the New Testament. And so today, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look how the the promise was foretold in the Old Testament And then next week, we're gonna look at how the promise was fulfilled in the New Testament for this two-part series called The Promise. Okay, and so if you're new to the Bible, you need to know something about the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi. It was written over a period of about 1,000 years. Okay, and so from around 1445 B.C. all the way to 400 B.C., you have the Hebrew Bible, it's, we call it the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, okay? And so, uh, of course, Job was, I think, um, many people agree, the oldest book in the Bible, but nobody knows when Job was written. And so, from 1445 B.C. to 400 B.C., you have the Jewish Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures, you have your Old Testament. What is one of the main themes of the Old Testament? One of the main themes is a promise, a promise from God to the world that he would send the Christ, the Son of the living God, into the world to redeem and to restore many things, to to redeem and restore the world. Now, there's many prophecies in the Old Testament that keep pointing to this coming Messiah. And then one day he came. What was his name? Go ahead and say it. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus was the fulfillment of the promise, and he came in flesh and blood to this world. And we thank God for the gift and the true meaning of Christmas. Now, some people say, well, how do you know, Christian? How do you know that Jesus was the Messiah? How do you know that some of those other world religions or religious sects, uh, how do you know that they're not true and you're so right? Well, number one, There's an empty tomb over in Israel. And by the way, they looked for his body like crazy in the first century and no one to this day ever found a body. And so we have the empty tomb, the fact of the resurrection. But number two is what I wanna talk to you about for the next 10 minutes or so. And that is the proof of fulfilled prophecy. Ladies and gentlemen, what you need to know is that there are scores of prophecies in the Jewish Bible, in the Hebrew Scriptures, your Old Testament. There's so many of these prophecies and they're all pointing to the Christ and they give us a picture of what he would look like when he came. And you need to know that when Jesus came, he fulfilled those prophecies. And by fulfilling those prophecies, Jesus proved that he said that he was who Peter said he was, and that is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay, so I'm just gonna give you 20 this morning. There's so many more, but we don't have time. Okay, and so in the Old Testament, in Genesis 12 and 17, it says the Messiah would be the descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jesus, 
of course, Luke 3.34 was a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But then it gets a little narrower. In the Old Testament, in Genesis 49, it says Messiah will be from the tribe of Judah. And of course, Jesus, Luke 3.33, was from that very tribe. In the Old Testament, 2 Samuel 7, it says that the Messiah will be heir to the throne of David. We're gonna see that later in the message. And Jesus, Luke 1, was heir to that very throne because he was a descendant of David. In the Old Testament, Malachi 4, it says the Messiah, before he comes, Elijah will come. He will be preceded by a forerunner. And in Matthew 11, Jesus said, if you're willing to receive it, John the Baptist is Elijah because John came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. In the Old Testament, Isaiah 7:14 says the Messiah will be born of a virgin. Of course, Mary, the young Jewish virgin, uh, in Matthew 1, 22 through 23, fulfilled that prophecy. Look how specific this one is. The Old Testament says, the Jewish Bible says that Jesus, or, or the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2. What town was Jesus born in? Bethlehem, fulfilled by the Lord, Matthew 2, 1. In the Old Testament, um, it says in Psalm 110.4 that Jesus would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek, not the order of Aaron. And of course, Hebrews 5 says Jesus fulfilled that as well. Zechariah 9.9 says when Messiah comes, everybody, listen, you're gonna know because he's gonna come in riding, not on a big white stallion, no, a, a lowly donkey. What did Jesus ride in on? to Jerusalem, Luke 19, he rode in on a donkey to fulfill that as well. In the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, three, says that Messiah will be rejected by his people. John 1, 1 in the New Testament says he came unto his own and his own, that's Israel, his own received him not. But I love verse 12. As many as received him, to them, he gave the right to become children of God. Let me see your hand if you've received Jesus Christ before, so you're a child of God. Thank God that you've received the Lord, even though the first century religious Jews rejected Jesus as Messiah. In the Old Testament, Zechariah 13 says that Messiah will be deserted by his followers. Jesus quoted that verse right before all his disciples ran away the night he was betrayed. Not only that, when you look at the Old Testament, as we continue on, we see that Isaiah 50, verse six, he was spat upon and struck. That's the prophecy made 700 years before it happened. Of course, Jesus, they spat right in his face and they punched him with the palm of their hands while he was blindfolded. Psalm 22 says his garments will be divided and gambled for. We saw that happen in Luke 23. In the Old Testament, it says that his hands and feet would be pierced. That's Psalm 22. It's also in Zechariah. In the New Testament, they drove spikes through his hands and through his feet. Psalm 69, they're gonna give him vinegar to drink. Thousand years later, Jesus hanging on the cross, the sponge of vinegar went to his lips. In the Old Testament, it says that none of his bones would be broken. So even though his back was made hamburger meat, even though they pierced his hands and his feet and stuck a a sword or spear in his side. None of his bones were ever broken, says John 19, 36. 
In Psalm 22, one, David writes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he gives in Psalm 22, amazing messianic psalm written a thousand years before Messiah came. And Jesus hanging on the cross said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the Old Testament, this this just blows my mind. It says that the Messiah will die. In the Jewish Bible, it says in three places that Messiah will die. Psalm 22, Daniel 9, Isaiah 53. And what did Jesus do on the cross? He died, he was cut off, he was executed for our sins. Look how specific this is. Isaiah says Messiah will be buried with the rich, the suffering servant. In Matthew, he's buried by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea in a rich man's tomb, Joseph's tomb. In the Old Testament, my favorite, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption, okay? So the prophecy is that the Messiah would, would rise from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead, Matthew 28, six. And of course, he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And that's one of the names that Jesus was given. All right, so I could go on and on and on. But I just gave you 20. Now, the pastors here, we, we like to give this illustration. I heard Pastor Bob share this, um, I forgot how long ago. We like to give this illustration at least a couple times, a, uh, 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 one time every couple years because it's so significant in strengthening your faith in Jesus Christ. What are the chances? What are the chances that one man can fulfill just eight of those prophecies? I gave you 20. There's even more than 20. But what are the chances that one man in history could fulfill just eight of those Old Testament prophecies? Well, there was a professor, he's with the Lord now, his name was Peter Stoner. He was the professor emeritus of mathematics and astronomy at Pasadena City College. He wrote a book called Science Speaks. He did the calculation. This is the picture that he gave us. So if you're with me right here, say amen. Okay, listen, imagine right now in your mind the state of Texas. And imagine filling that state two feet high with silver dollars. And then imagine someone's flying a plane over Texas, they take one silver dollar, they mark it with an X, and they throw it out the window, and it lands somewhere in Texas. Then imagine that they blindfold a man and they tell him, start walking, you can walk for days, you can walk for months throughout the two feet deep uh, of, of silver coins throughout the state of Texas, and whenever you want, bend over when you think you're at the place with that marked silver dollar. What are the chances that a man could actually find that silver dollar? You guys think he could find it? Okay, and so here's the point. The chance of that man finding that marked silver dollar is the same chance of one man fulfilling just eight of those Old Testament prophecies. It's one chance in 10 to the 17th power. That's a big number. In other words, it's a mathematical impossibility for the Messiah to be anyone else than Jesus of Nazareth. 
What does that mean? That means all those world religions, all those Christian cults, all the other religious sects are wrong and Christianity alone in the world stands true. And that Jesus Christ really is the only way, truth and life, and nobody comes to the Father but through him. Ladies and gentlemen, we have truth. And sorry, culture, the truth is exclusive. Jesus is the only way. We should not care about who we offend. We should share that truth because people's eternal destiny is on the line. Christ has proved through the empty tomb and he's proved through fulfilled prophecy that he's the only one. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. And he'll absolutely turn your world upside down if you'll fall at his feet and surrender him to him as Lord. And so what I'm gonna do for our remaining time is I'm gonna look at just one of the Old Testament promises about the coming Messiah out of Isaiah chapter nine. Now, I hope you're looking at Isaiah nine right now because Isaiah was a powerful prophet and he preached in the eighth century BC. Okay, so we're going back in time 700 years before Christ. And all of a sudden, here's Isaiah, and he's in Israel. And he's preaching, he's writing. The Holy Spirit is moving through this man's ministry. He talks about in Isaiah 9-1 about this great thing that's gonna happen in Galilee of the nations. By the way, where did Jesus, what area did Jesus primarily minister in? Galilee of the nations, and not only that, he says that the people who walked in darkness, verse two, have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of the deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And so this is looking forward to Messiah's ministry. Messiah's gonna come someday to Galilee of the nations. He's gonna be a bright light. Okay, so that's the context. You always wanna keep verses in their context. But for time's sake, we gotta jump down to verse six, okay? So here we go. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of who? David, and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Okay, and so those two verses, that amazing passage, what happens? God promises that a child is gonna be born a child that's gonna absolutely change the world. And so once again, the promise was foretold, eighth century BC, the promise was fulfilled, obviously, first part of the first century AD. So we're gonna break up these two verses. Okay, so look at the first part of the promise. Look again at verse six. It says, For us, to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. Let's stop right there. And so, so when you hear the phrase, for unto us a child is born, that speaks of his humanity. And then when you hear the phrase, unto us a son is given, that speaks of his 
divinity. So what does that mean? That means that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. And the reason I emphasize this so much in my, my preaching ministry is because we live in a culture that is biblically illiterate. And they're running after all kinds of Jesus or different Jesuses, and they're not that Jesus. And so if your Jesus is not 100% man and 100% God, then you have the wrong Jesus. You have a Jesus that cannot save you. It's called the miracle of the incarnation. We sang about it a little while ago. And so the angel Gabriel comes to this young Jewish virgin. She's probably 15, 16 years old, named Mary. And he says, you're gonna be the mother of the Messiah. I mean, what could be a greater honor, right? You're gonna be the mother of the Messiah. Do you know what this, this teenage Jewish virgin said to the angel? She said, how can this be? I've never known a man. I've never had sex. How in the world am I gonna get pregnant and give birth to the Messiah? And the angel said to her, I'm quoting now from Luke 135, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that child that is to be born will be called the Son of God. Okay, and so let me, let me share with you the, the miracle of the incarnation. How many of you guys will remember Solomon back in the Old Testament? This is going back 900 years before Christ, and he builds the temple. And after he built the temple, he begins to pray. And you remember how the fire of God came down and it consumed the sacrifice? And then the Shekinah glory cloud of God came and it just completely enveloped that brand new temple. And God's presence and God's power and God's holiness was so thick, it says that the priest could not even walk into that temple. By the way, quick side note, um, sometimes during worship, God's presence in this room is so thick you can cut it like a knife. And when I'm experiencing God's presence and worshiping uh, the King of kings and Lord of lords, it's like I don't even wanna move I don't even wanna think something differently. I don't wanna do anything to mess up um, um, the, just the experience of God's presence and God's power. And so that's how it was when the Shekinah glory of God enveloped the temple, okay? And so it, the angel, Gabriel, said to Mary, the power of the highest will overshadow you. In other words, the same way that the Shekinah glory, the holiness of God, enveloped the Old Testament temple, Mary, the Holy Spirit and all his holiness and glory is gonna envelop you. And through that encounter, the, the miraculous conception of the Son of God will occur. And just to, just to go a little deeper, I mean, just think about Jesus, right? He didn't start existing 2,000 years ago, he's the eternal God. And so Jesus leaves his throne in heaven, steps out of eternity and into the womb of a virgin, and he adds humanity to his divinity. He's 100% God, 100% man. He lives this perfect life. He dies on the cross for our sins. He rises again, ascends to the right hand of the Father. He sends the Holy Spirit to the church, and one day he's coming back. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the greatest story ever told. 
and it's about our Lord. And that's the focus that we have to have, especially around Christmas time when the, the, the message is all messed up. And I'll talk about that later. And so what you need to know is that the first part of this promise, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, has already been fulfilled 2,000 years ago. Amen? Look at the second part of the promise. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Question, you can answer out loud, I don't care. When you read the news, do you guys really think the government of this world right now is resting upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ that he's in charge? <laughs> Not even close. I mean, that's a joke, right? Not even close. The teachings of Jesus Christ are virtually ignored in Washington, D.C., London, right, Madrid, Paris, Moscow, Beijing, Tokyo, Jerusalem, I could go on and on, but every single major city in the entire world ignores the teachings of Jesus Christ. But here's the good news. Now, now stay with me here. I get excited about these things. Here's the good news. If the first part of the promise, unto us a, a child is born, unto us a son is given, if that was literally fulfilled in history, that means the second part of the promise will also be literally fulfilled in history and the government will be on Jesus' shoulders. When Jesus comes back, he will be the government and his teachings will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea and it's gonna be such an amazing time. Are you looking forward to that day? Is anybody excited about that day? You say, Pastor, you preach so much about the second coming of Christ. It's because I'm trying to give you hope. Because I know many of you come in with these burdens in your heart and these problem situations. And you need to understand that there's more to this life than this life. We're here today, we're gone tomorrow, this life's a vapor. 20,000 billion years from now, that's what we should really be concerned about. And if you have received Christ, not rejected him, but if you have, as Pastor Will preached last week, bowed to his lordship and received him as your savior, then 20,000 billion years from now, you're still gonna be alive and you're gonna be in your resurrected body and you're gonna be so happy that you made that choice to receive Jesus. This life will be a distant memory. All your problems will be a distant memory. In fact, you probably won't even remember it anymore. What my job is, is to prepare you for eternity. My job is not to give you a, a tips on a, how to live a life of ease and how to be a prosperous in the material realm. That is not my job. My job that I have to stand before Jesus Christ one day and to give an account to him is did I prepare the people for eternity? And that's why I go verse by verse through this Bible because this is the eternal book and this is the only way we could ever be prepared for eternity. Why, why are the pastors in America not teaching this book anymore? What is going on in our society? I'll tell you what's going on. It's called the great apostasy and it's a sign of the end times. Now, when the Lord comes back, look at the third part of his promise so we know a child is born, a son is given. That's already happened 2,000 years ago. We know the government will be upon his shoulder. That's in the future kingdom age. And during that age, he has a lot of names. Look at four of them right now. So I'm halfway down verse six. 
and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So in the coming kingdom age, when Jesus is here in the flesh and he's reigning over the world, his wisdom is going to be so great. His counsel is going to be so right on. They're going to call him Wonderful Counselor. When Jesus is here on the earth reigning as king, everybody's going to know that he's God, the eternal son of God. And they're going to call him Mighty God. By the way, that's an Old Testament reference in the Jewish Bible that Jesus is God, the eternal God. Not only that, in the kingdom age, when he comes and reigns as king, he's going to be called the the, the everlasting father. In In the Hebrew, literally, that's father of eternity. The word father, if you break it down, means originator or source. So he's the originator or source of eternity. What does that mean? That means Jesus is the co-creator of all life. And they're gonna call him father of eternity. Not that he's the same as the father and the father is the same as him, right? One God, three persons, father, son, Holy Spirit. This is not saying that he's the father. This is saying he's the originator of eternity. Does that make sense to you guys? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. And when he comes, he's gonna bring peace to the entire world. No more war, no more bloodshed, no more hatred, no more fighting until the end of the millennium. And so he's gonna be called the Prince of Peace. But here's my question for for all of you today. Do we really have to wait until the millennium to experience the benefits of his names? No, check this out. We can experience the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace when? Right now. We're part of the church. We're the called out ones. Guess what? When we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the universal church of God. We're we're in the family of God. And so we don't have to wait until some kingdom age. We, in this fallen world, age of grace, right now, can experience the benefits of his name. He can be our wonderful counselor today. He can be your wonderful counselor today. You say, how? Here's how you meditate in this book day and night. He'll be your wonderful counselor. Isn't this his counsel? Now listen to Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. See, some of you are taking advice from unsaved friends or loved ones. And you wonder why your life is spiraling out of control because you're listening to unregenerate people. Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Hey, you know, you can listen and be nice, but don't take their advice. It comes from another place. Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Please say day and night. Okay, so what does that mean? That if you'll do that, you get the rest of the promise in Psalm 1, 1 through 3. What's that? I'll continue. And he, or she, shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water who yields its fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither, and what? 
whatever he or she does shall prosper. There's your true prosperity gospel right there. Anybody want to prosper in this life? Okay, three people, praise the Lord. (laughs) Wow, I'm so happy you want to prosper in life. Let me try that again. Now, this is God's definition, biblically prosper. If you want to biblically prosper in this life, please raise your hand. Of course you do. Are you meditating in God's word day and night? If you're not, then maybe, maybe, I don't know you, but maybe that's why your life is spiraling out of control. Because listen, it's a promise. If you meditate day and night in the word of God, you're gonna prosper. I'm not saying you're gonna be rich materially and drive a BMW and live in a mansion and PGA. That's not God's definition. Spiritually speaking, you're gonna prosper as a man or woman of God. And so, hey, get a study Bible. Start January 1st. Praise the Lord, we're right here. We're almost there, January 1st. Get a study Bible and start a Bible reading plan. Listen, I don't care what... People say, oh, you don't have to do it every day. That's legalistic. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about life. Every single day, meditate in God's word. So here's what some of you guys have done in the past. You're all set. You're psyched out. You got your Bible reading plan. It's January 1st. You start, and that lasts until January 4th. (laughs) And then you're frustrated, and you close the Bible. Here's probably why. Because you're trying to read through the Bible in one year. I mean, if, if, you're, if you don't have a job and you're retired and you got five hours in the morning to spend time with the Lord, great. Read the Bible in a year. Most of us don't have that kind of time. I just go one chapter a day. I'm not worried about if I can read the Bible in such a period of time. And, but, but here's the thing, meditate in that chapter. So that means you get up a little bit early and you, you spend that time, gotta have coffee, and you, you spend time and you meditate in the word of God. And so the Ryrie Study Bible, I've recommended it before, the Wearsby Transformation Bible, um, the David Jeremiah Study Bible. These are awesome men of God, stayed true through their whole lives, consistently, accurately representing the Lord, conservative theologians. They got great notes to help you understand the word of God as you meditate on it day and night. You and I can experience the wonderful counselor today. We can experience the mighty God today. That means his power and his protection. That means, you've heard me say this before, you've got to, if this is you and this is Jesus, you've got to stay close to your big brother. He's the mighty God. If you do, and your big brother's right here and you're right here, that means those bullies in the demonic realm, they cannot touch you. But if you're playing the fool and you're way over here and you're not living for the Lord... It's no wonder you're getting the snot beat out of you by the demonic realm. You gotta get close to Jesus and you gotta stay right there. You can experience the wonderful counselor today. You can experience the mighty God today. You can experience the awe of the father of eternity today. How? Get into his presence and worship him in spirit and in truth. Thank him that Jesus Christ is the source of all things. And then you can experience the Prince of Peace today. How? Every day in his presence, in a place of solitude. I did it yesterday. I went off somewhere in nature and I just went for a walk, me and the Lord. Why? I'm praying for you guys. 
Everybody in first service, everybody in second service, everybody in third service, all the ministry partners, all the staff, all the elders, all the pastors, all the pastors and elders' wives praying. Why? Because nothing gets accomplished outside of the Holy Spirit in answer to prayer. And what happened? Peace came over me. Why? Because that's what the Bible promises. Pastor Jacob preached on that about a month ago. And so we don't have to wait to some millennial age. In the future, we can experience this stuff right now. And so here's your last verse, verse seven. He says, of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth, and how long? Forevermore, Jesus is coming back, he's gonna reign as king forevermore. Somebody says, whatever, you know. You really think that's gonna happen, Pastor Mike? Yeah, here's, here's how I know it'll happen. Look at the end of verse seven. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's going to happen. The question is, are you prepared for it to happen? And so if you're taking notes, when Christ returns, he's gonna sit on David's throne. And so as we begin to wind down, I wanna ask you to stay with me all the way to the end here. But in the 10th century B.C., you have King David, he's living high on the hog. He's the king over Judah, he's the king over Israel. Saul is dead, everything's going great. He's living in this beautiful giant palace made of cedar wood, and he's feeling guilty. By the way, you can have all the riches in the world, but sometimes you just need to deal with the emotions that are going on in your heart. The reason he was feeling guilty was not because of his sin with Bathsheba, that's another story. He's feeling guilty because he's living in a beautiful palace, but the ark of God, where the presence of God dwells between the cherubim above the mercy seat, the ark of the covenant, it's in a tent. He's living in a palace, living the lifestyle of the rich and famous, but the ark of God is in a tent. And David says, this is not right. He calls his buddy Nathan the prophet, and he goes, I wanna build God a big, beautiful temple. And so Nathan's like, go for it, man. And then that night, Nathan gets corrected by the Lord. The Lord comes to Nathan and gives a message to David through Nathan. It's got some not so good news for David and then great news for David, okay? The not so good news, Nathan says, this is God working through him to David, you're not gonna build my temple. You're a man of war, you have bloody hands, you're not gonna build my temple, that's gonna be your son later. David provided for it, Solomon built it. That's the not too good news. Here's the great news. God is so impressed, so taken by this desire in David's heart to build him a temple. He said, David, you wanna build me a house? No, 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 son, I'm gonna build you a house. And check out this promise in 2 Samuel chapter seven. God says, David, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established for how long? Forever. Three words, three promises. God says, I promise you a house. I promise you a kingdom. And I promise you, David, a throne that's gonna last forever. Okay, what's David's house? That's his dynasty. That means Messiah is going to come through the lineage, the family tree of David. What's David's kingdom? 
Okay, David reigned over Israel. What does that mean? That means I don't care how many people today hate Israel, how many people want to wipe them off the map. Listen, listen pardon the bad English, you, you ain't getting rid of Israel. Okay? I don't care how anti-Semitic people are, Israel's here to stay. Why? Because of this thing called the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, because God made some eternal promises to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm not saying that everything Israel does today is right. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying God's got a plan for Israel, David's kingdom. Messiah is coming to a kingdom, and that kingdom is gonna be sure forever, and your throne, David, shall be established, how long? Forever. Now, who's gonna fulfill this promise? First century AD, an angel flies to a lady named Mary, and he says this concerning her son, Luke 1, 32. The Lord God, Mary, will give to him, that's your son, Jesus, the throne of his father, who? And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so right now, Jesus sits on the throne of the Father in heaven, but one day he's coming to the earth and he's gonna sit on the throne of David. He's gonna rule over Israel and the world for a thousand years and then forevermore. What you need to know is that Christmas, listen, our culture says Christmas is all about Santa Claus and reindeers and Frosty the Snowman. No, it's way better than that. Christmas is about a promise foretold in the Old Testament and a promise fulfilled in the New Testament by our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the truth. We have the truth. We have the truth. And so here's your response time. It's very, very simple today as the prayer partners make their way up. The, par- the, the, the response time is I want everybody to grab your Christmas Eve invite card that's on the seat next to you. So everybody grab this card. I'm gonna wait a minute till you all have the card in your hands. And once you have that card, can you just hold it up like this? So you say, Pastor, how can I respond to this message? Here's how. You guys can put the cards down. I want you to pray and ask God to put one person on your heart. Someone that you know does not know the Lord or maybe fell away from the Lord. And I want you to pray, okay? Don't give them the card yet, pray. The reason we gotta pray is because Jesus said, unless the Father draws you, you're not coming to me. And so start to pray for this person, whoever God lays on your heart. And then after a season of prayer, maybe even a fasting, if you're able medically to fast, go to them and say, hey, I wanna invite you to one of our Christmas Eve services. And then keep praying because you know there's gonna be spiritual warfare, stop trying to stop that person from coming. If they make it, it's a miracle of God. Did you guys know that everybody that walks through those front doors is a miracle of God? Listen, what we do in this place is so counterculture. it's a miracle whenever anybody shows up. It's so opposite the thinking of the world, it's a miracle whenever, whenever anybody comes. And so 
here's what I'm gonna do. That's your end of the bargain. My end of the bargain is I'm gonna promise fulfilled. I'm gonna share the gospel. And I'll give your friend, neighbor, coworker, or loved one an opportunity to receive this King, Jesus Christ, as their Savior and Lord. At that point, it's between them and God, but at least they'll hear the good news of the gospel and not the bad news of religion. And so as you stand to your feet right now, be thinking about who that person is. The prayer partners are here. They're here for you. If you have any kind of prayer request, anything that's heavy on your heart, that's their ministry. Every week they're here. Pastor Bob is here as well. The elders and pastors are here. Uh, we want to minister to you if you have something going on in your life and you need prayer. If you're here and you heard the message and you say, man, I've never given my life to Jesus. <laughs> I want to do that. I don't want to wait till next week. I want to do that today. Well, after I close in prayer, as everyone's leaving, just come on up, tell one of us, you want to give your life to Jesus Christ. We would love to help you connect with Jesus um, and saving faith, experience saving faith today. If you're visiting with us, go to our Next Steps area, get the free gift on your way out today. We love you guys. Let's go before our Father in prayer. And so God, we thank you for this time in your word. And Father, um, sometimes um, as your sheep, we stray, we wander from the flock. And we put ourselves in danger of the wolves, the enemy, those spirit powers that hate us and wanna bring us down. And so Lord, if there's anyone like that today, I pray that today would be the day that they turn around and they come back to the flock of the Good Shepherd, you, Lord, and that they uh, rededicate their life to following you. Lord, we know that only you can do that in their hearts. So Holy Spirit, please do that work. Lord, we look forward to sharing uh, these invitations this week with hundreds and hundreds of people. We pray you'll give them ears to hear and hearts to receive what it is you're doing in their life. And that next week would be a time of salvation for them as they uh, put their faith, hope, and trust in you. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at calvarypsl.com. Click on I'm new here, then knowing Christ.